guys. I am so excited to be speaking with you this morning. Um, this week, I really wrestled with this word, um, and I'm so excited because I am actually pumped and know that this is what the Lord wants to say. Um, and I'm just excited to share it with you guys because I feel like it correlates a lot with what the Lord has been teaching us, um, just with wounds of the church that we're trying to attend uh, to, and even prayer, um, what Pastor Rowe talked about last week. And yeah, so I'm excited to share this word with you, and we'll just hop right into it. Um, the title of my sermon is going to be Jesus the Bridge. Um, so let's talk about Jesus for a second, okay? Um, I love Jesus. I love to talk about him, and I love to hear about him. I love to talk with others to hear how Jesus is moving in their hearts and what he's doing in their lives and to share the same as how he's moving in mine, and it just excites me so much. Um, but so Jesus gave it all for us so we could be in communion with him and have a relationship with him. He died on the cross for that very reason to, to have communion with us. Um, so how is it possible to talk with him? Well, it's possible through his Holy Spirit. Um, but it's possible because Jesus stood in the gap for us. So the gap is sin, which separates us from God. And when we ask Jesus into our hearts, that gap is filled by Jesus. He fills that gap, and that gap is gone. He's the bridge. So to stand in the gap, the definition of standing in the gap means to expose oneself for the protection of something or to make defense against any assailing danger. So Jesus defended and protected us against the assailing danger of sin. He protected us from that. He defended us from that so that we didn't have to take it on. When he did this, he bridged a way for us to have access to heaven and eternal life, which is huge. Huge. And so Jesus is the bridge to God, and he's the bridge to new life. And when we really soak on who he is and we know who he is, um, like I said, you just, you just love to hear about him. You love to know about him. And it's just, it's just wild. And we could really just sit on this um, for a message in itself of just like who he is and what he does for us. So my question is, how do you view Jesus? Because this speaks to how Jesus, the bridge, functions in our lives. So Jesus throughout our life, lives gives us opportunities to learn and to grow and to know who he is by the circumstances that we walk through. And the bet, like a beautiful thing about Jesus is he's always loving and graceful and he's never been like a pushy or controlling God. He's never been that. Um, he simply just waits for us to partner with his heart. He waits on us. So again, I ask you, how do you view Jesus? Do you see Jesus as reliable and unshakable and loving and trustworthy and grace and mercy and just? Do you see him as all of these things? Is that how you view him? I know sometimes we... We tend to say that that's how we view them, but do we genuinely believe it in our heart and in our mind that that is what he is? 
Or have we allowed past experiences that we've experienced where sin was done through us or unto us um, that affects how we see who Jesus is? So if we allow our past experiences to shape how we see Jesus, we tend to just use Jesus with what we feel like we need him for um, because, okay, he was reliable this one time, so I can trust him in that. But he wasn't reliable in this time, so I can't trust him in that. Or I, I'm going to get really anxious and nervous and not trust him in that because we just try to uh, lies begin to shape how we see Jesus. Um, And sometimes we even put him in a box of, like, what he's capable of doing. You know, we, we look at him and it's like, oh, well, God's capable of this. So I'm going to, you know, tend, I'll let him tend to this, but I'm going to keep this part over here. I'm, I'm not going to give that to him because he's, I know he's capable of doing that. But I've never experienced him in this way. So, you know, I'm just going to hold this and I'll handle this one. And when we view Jesus incorrectly or allow lies to hinder the way he truly is, it affects how we receive what he says to us. And it also keeps us in a worldly perspective rather than a heavenly one. The enemy's lies can keep us from receiving all that the Lord wants to give to us. I mean, he has so much to give, and he is... Man, just to spend time with him, there's nothing like it. And if we view Jesus correctly, the flow from heaven is done well. And when our bridge is solid, when we view Jesus as solid, it's because we are in constant communication and union with Jesus. That's what makes a solid bridge. That's what makes a... Um, a solid view of Jesus is when you're spending time with him and you're communicating back and forth. I was thinking, Blaine always speaks on intimacy. This instantly came to my mind is like intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. Yes, that is vital. It's vital to know who Jesus is, to view him correctly, to see him correctly. And when we have that fully functioning bridge the flow from earth to heaven and heaven to earth runs so smoothly. And it's exactly how it's supposed to flow because we take the things of the earth that are going on and we take them to the Lord and we ask him his heart on the issue. And in return, we get a heavenly perspective and the flow comes right back. So we're taking it from the earth, giving it to him, asking him his thoughts on it, and then the flow from heaven comes back. So that bridge is flowing perfectly. And a definition of a bridge is a crossing of any obstacle and performs effective communication between two destinations. So you think of those two destinations as earth to heaven and heaven to earth. Those are two destinations. And that is how we are to function as believers. So Jesus' heart is to effectively communicate with us through any obstacle. That's his heart. He always wants 
to speak to your heart on any issue or anything that you're facing or even good things that you're facing. He wants to speak into those things. And so I was led to the story of Nathaniel in John chapter 1, um, verse 47 through 51. I'll give you guys a second to get there. It's John chapter 1, 47 through 51. And I believe mine's from the Passion Translation, this scripture. But it says, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said, Now, here comes a true son of Israel, an honest man with no hidden motive. Nathanael was stunned and said, But you've never met me. How do you know anything about me? Jesus answered, Nathanael, Right before Philip came to you, I saw you sitting under the shade of a fig tree. Nathanael blurted out, Teacher, you are truly the Son of God and the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe simply because I told you I saw you sitting under a fig tree? You will experience even more impressive things than that. I prophesy to you eternal life. From now on, you will see an open heaven and gaze upon the Son of Man, like a stairway reaching into the sky with messengers of God climbing up and down upon him. So I know it says stairway and it doesn't say bridge, but in the but same difference is you guys are getting what I'm saying in the sense of like this stairway, this Jesus gives us access to this stairway. And we have open gaze and to see heaven, to see heaven as it is, and we can gaze upon the Son of Man. Open heaven and gaze upon him and who he truly is. So Nathaniel's simple belief in Jesus, believing Jesus was who he said he was, allows Nathaniel to have open gaze upon the heavenly realm, to have vision, to perceive, to discern things, to have wisdom like our almighty God. Like, that's wild. That's available to us. And it's just simply a belief. And to have the Father in your heart. As simple as that. And we have open gaze into heaven. What? What? I mean, I could do a dance literally thinking about that. It's like we have open gaze to see the Son of Man. And as believers, since we have this open gaze to see how the Father, um, like we can see how he contends for us. And others here on this earth. He allows us to be a part of that. He not only just gives us the eyes to see the heavenly realm and to see his perspective, but he also allows us to partner with it and to contend with him in it. We get to partner with him and go alongside with him. He invites us to that. That's a relationship. That's a relationship is he's calling us to that because he wants to do that with us. He wants to be in communion with us. Next, I'm going to read um, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. And again, I'll let you guys get to that. 
Um, but Isaiah chapter 2, 3 says, Many peoples will come and say, Everyone come. Let's go higher to Yahweh's mountain, to the house of Jacob's God. Then he can teach us his ways, and we can walk in his paths. Zion will be the center of instruction, and the word of Yahweh will go out from Jerusalem. So yearning to know Jesus is something we need to be able to recognize in non-believers. We need to recognize that yearning of them wanting. They may not know it in their heart, but they're genuinely yearning to know Jesus. And just with one encounter with the Lord, it could be the most simplest encounter, which is just wild about Jesus. But good luck stopping somebody who's actually encountered Jesus for themselves. Good luck. Because when you get eyes on him, you're in a full-blown sprint after that. Like, you just want to know him. You just want to know who he is, and you just chase after him like, lightning. Like, you just want to know. You can't get enough of him, and you just want to talk about him and see him move, and want you want to know more about him. And the excitement and the heart change is evident, and it's real in somebody's heart who has encountered Jesus. And it just, it just brings me back to my own testimony of just like a simple woman just spoke something that I had just, I literally had prayed in my mind to Jesus. And I had asked him what it looks like to just be all in for him and just to let, like, what does it look like to know him and to to be so in love with him as I was looking around a room and people were worshiping him and stomping and clapping and they didn't care what anyone thought because their eyes were on him. And asking him, like, okay, Jesus, what is it that they have that I don't have? Because I don't get it. I don't understand. And I prayed that prayer in my mind and went out and a woman I did not know at the time um, came up to me and said, I feel like the Lord wants me to tell you, let go. It's let go. It's not anything you have to do. You just have to let go. And after that moment, I have been gung-ho for Jesus because more so when growing up is like I almost, in a sense, piggy-tailed off of, I would say, my parents' relationship with Jesus. And I didn't really know him fully for myself. And when, when I look back on my life and I'm like, wow, Jesus moved so much in my life. I know that now, but I think I missed those moments growing up. But for that first time, I felt like, wow, the Lord hears me and he, he answers and he talks, and he became real to me, and it was just like this. I can't explain it. I just was gung-ho after that. Like, I just wanted to know him. Like, Jesus speaks. Oh, my goodness, he speaks. He answers. He answers prayer. Like, it was it was just, like, evident to me of, like, who he was. It just made sense. Um, but I want to point out in this scripture um, what stuck out to me the most Um, which is where it says Zion will be the center of instruction and the word of Yahweh will go out from Jerusalem. So Zion means the realm where God is enthroned. So it's known as the heavenly realm. 
So the, the realm where Jesus is enthroned is the center of instruction, is what the scripture is saying. So the realm where Jesus is enthroned is the center of instruction, and the kingdom realm is vital for the word of the Lord to go out. So when I was reading this um, scripture, I had looked down in the subtext, and it mentioned how Zion um, and the people of God are synonyms. Because we as believers are his dwelling place for his spirit. Just as Zion is the heavenly realm. And as believers, we are called to live in that heavenly realm, that heavenly perspective. So those two go hand in hand. Which I was like, that's wild. And so reading that scripture, I'm like, okay. So it's saying... Zion will be the center of instruction. The word of Yahweh will go out from Jerusalem. That's speaking of how the Lord uses us as a focal point to display his heart. That's wild. We're the center of instruction. He uses us as the center of instruction to get his word out. Like, what a, what a honor, first of all, but like, wow. Like, so are we allowing the Lord to teach his ways through our daily lives? Because this matters. This matters. And because if we're living out Zion, heavenly realm, then the word will go forth. It says that. It's a center of instruction and the word of Yahweh will go forth. So I read this scripture because I feel like it's the heart of the Lord to have us recognize that he is a bridge within us that needs to be revealed to non-believers. In harvest, I just keep, I cannot get off of it. I just feel like harvest is something he has spoken to me so much recently. And reaching those who don't realize their hearts are longing to know the Lord. So, when I was asking the Lord about harvest and just really getting into this, into the scriptures and, and things, I felt the Lord highlighted two things that he wants to bring to attention to the church and just um, speak to the correction and the redirection with the ways we try to win hearts for the kingdom. And two things that I felt he pointed out to me were manipulation and responding with offense. So we're going to dive into manipulation, um, which in the scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.15, it says, For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power, to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. So human weapons are manipulation and control. And kingdom weapons pinpoint the issue at hand and they take it out the root and they get rid of it. So to think of an example of a human weapon... um, 
I was just asking the Lord, okay, so what could this look like? And um, I felt like he led to me to um, sometimes as uh, parents, uh, we be we can become angered and frustrated that our child isn't isn't being in their word. They aren't meeting with the Lord. So sometimes we try to manipulate them with our emotion and hope it leads to a hunger for them to know the Father. And sometimes it looks like we're putting fear into that child, or this could be any family member. You you think of it in the sense of sometimes we're putting fear into that child. Um, so they chose to spend time with the Lord um, out of the fear aspect rather than truly knowing Jesus for themselves. They're choosing to meet with the Lord because, oh no, mom's going to be mad if I don't read my Bible. I need to, I need to meet, like I need to get in my word. And it, it's that, that anger and that frustration and that manipulation of the emotion is driving the child to, to get in their word. Instead of actually them wanting to know about who Jesus is and being like, hey, you know, I see mom at church and she loves Jesus. And just like in seeing Jesus in your daily lives, that being the true thing that stirs up that child to want to get in the word, to want to know Jesus for who he truly is. So what does kingdom weapons look like? And I felt like the Lord said, it looks like contending for your child in prayer. For the Lord to encounter them daily in their lives and in their dreams. Pray over their pillow. The, the pillow that they lay their head down on every night, pray over their pillow. It looks like contending that way or anointing your house. Um, I know uh, one of our good friends, Tammy, she um, encouraged me to anoint the house. She goes, anoint your laundry anoint your laundry. Those are touching your children. Those are touching your husband. Those are touching all of you. Anoint your house that everything your family touches sparks a desire to know him and to know his heart and to want to get into his word. And, and sometimes too, I know sometimes, I mean, I know you guys know toddlers, and sometimes it's crazy at our house, and it's chaotic, and kids are screaming, and sometimes I'm disciplining, and I'm just frustrated because I just feel like I'm not being heard, or just those different things, and I have felt the Lord say, stop and worship. Stop the chaoticness and worship. So I have literally found myself in my kitchen. If you're driving by my house, you might see it. I'm going wild in the house jumping up and down and worshiping Jesus because I'm going to contend and battle against that chaoticness that's taking place in my house. I'm going to partner with him and his heart, and I'm going to bring that kingdom weapon because that's what's really going to attack the chaoticness. And also, it could look like sitting with your child and asking them, why don't you have a desire to spend time with the Lord? Why is that not there? Find out the reason they don't want to spend time with him. And, and that's where we go. That's the root of the issue is why are they not? Well, you know, I don't believe him. I don't believe in him or whatever it is. Well, that's what we contend with. We find the root of the issue of why they're not having a hunger to get into the word. Or you know what? Maybe they had a situation where it's just they feel 
um, I'm trying to think of an example of just like a past experience that, you know what, I don't, I don't want to get in my word because of this. And so just contending for that, going after that root with the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit guide you as you speak to your child and speak into them. So these are just some possibilities with the Lord. Um, and obviously can look like totally different with each and every one of us and, and just how to partner with him. But that's the, that's the great thing about Jesus is we can ask him questions. We can always ask him questions. We can always ask him to guide us. And guess what? He'll show up. He always does. He'll always give you an answer because that's how he is. So partnering with the Holy Spirit and letting him guide your steps is the only way to dismantle the very issue at hand. And manipulation and control can only stem from an, from anxiousness or a feel, fearful heart, which is not of the Lord. That's not of the Lord. And um, that fear and anxiousness um, that your child won't know the Lord rather than trusting. Like sometimes we partner with that fear and anxiousness because we want our child to know the Lord. We want them to have a relationship. We know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. We want that. But instead of the, of trusting the Lord and trusting that he has your child and that you could contend with him in it, we sometimes tend to partner with that fear and anxiousness of like, well, maybe if I manipulate them this way, they'll get into their word and they'll, and it will spark something. But manipulation and control are not the way to do it. And that's with anybody. That's with anybody that we face, not just children. It's our daily lives of walking around with other people. We can't fear, put fear in their heart to just spark a desire to want to know Jesus. That's not the way to do it. It's not through manipulation. Um, and the next one I feel the Lord was talking about was offense, which is just like, Wow, because right now, I feel like more than anything, the enemy is throwing offense. Everyone's offended. Everyone's upset. On all ends of the spectrum, everyone's offended. When they're not received, they're offended. When they're, like, it's all of these. And I feel like um, this is one thing the Lord highlighted to me, and he wanted to speak into this. And so, um, Pastor Roe had, I think, it was Good Samaritan. He had me read into the, uh, the Good Samaritan. But a little bit of scripture before this, the Lord spoke to me, and it was in Luke 9, 1 through 5. Um, and I'm going to be reading from the translation or Passion Translation, but it says, Jesus summoned together his 12 disciples and impart, imparted to them authority over every demon and the power to heal every disease. Then he commissioned them to preach God's kingdom realm, to heal the sick, to demonstrate that the kingdom had arrived. As he sent them out, he gave them, gave them instructions. Excuse me. Take nothing ex- extra on your journey. Just go as you are. Don't carry a staff, a backpack, food, money, not even a change of clothes. Whatever home welcomes you as a guest Remain there and make it your base ministry. And wherever your ministry is rejected and not welcomed, you are to leave that town and shake the dust off your shoes as a testimony before them. 
So in this scripture, Jesus mentions the importance of bridging God's kingdom realm to reveal to people that the kingdom had arrived. And he describes it as taking authority and to heal the sick. And sometimes healing the sick doesn't always look like physical healing. Most times it's healing those wounds of what keeps somebody from Jesus. But what I feel like I really was led to hit on was verse 5 where it says, And wherever your ministry is rejected and not welcomed, you are to leave that town and shake the dust off your shoes as a testimony before them. So in the subtext of my Bible, it had said, Shaking the dust off their feet did not mean they were to simply stop, stomp off offended and angry, but that they would move on with no defilement or unforgiveness in their hearts towards those who rejected their message. If they do not do that, they would take the dust of that offense to the next place they ministered. Like, that's chunky, I know. Do you want me to reread it? Shaking the dust off their feet did not mean they were to stomp off offended and angry, but that they would move on with no defilement or unforgiveness in their hearts towards those who rejected their message. If they did not do that, they would take the dust of the offense to the next place they ministered. So this is vital. This is huge. And if we do not shake the dust of the offense... Then we carry it to the next place. We try to function as a bridge with the Lord. And do we really want to let one person or many people's responses affect how we share the gospel? We don't want that to shape how we, how we share about who Jesus is. Like, do we want to be fearful because someone that we shared to the gospel last said some hurtful words when... Um, we shared the gospel with them? Or do we want to be anxious to share what the Holy Spirit is asking us um, to because of a past experience of someone making you feel unwanted or unreceived? No, 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 no. We want to be free to share and to partner with the Holy Spirit. We're called to be free. We're called to be set free. And we can't let those things hinder when we go to share the word of the Lord. So, church, we need to make this a habit. Are we going to the Father first in all things? I know this is something I feel like I've really wanted to just, like, get a hold of. Is like, you know, Jesus, when something happens, I want to instantly stop in my tracks and have the discipline to ask him his thoughts right in there in those moments. I'm not going to go to my mom and vent to my mom and ask her her thoughts. I'm not going to go to my best friend and ask her thoughts on it or my husband and and ask him his thoughts on it. No, I'm going to go to the Father first, and I'm going to have discipline to ask him his thoughts first. To stop in our tracks and to hear his thoughts, not only asking the Holy Spirit how to respond in those moments of hard questions or hard conversations, but also debriefing with the Father after the situation. So I was reminded of when we have codes at work and... Um, when somebody's heart stops, it obviously gets super intense really quick and CPR is administered and different medications are going and you have a crowd of people. You have one person writing down what meds we're giving and 
the last time we got it, and you have somebody on the chest counting, you have somebody doing the bag, they're bagging them, and there's so many things taking place, IVs being placed, so much. And usually after a situation where it's super intense and a code happens and someone either passes or um, we're able to move them down to the ICU and they're to be worked on, but after that, um, after the hard situation takes place, we debrief. We talk about it, okay? What could we have done better? How did we approach this? What did we do well on? Like, what, what next time can we do to be quicker, to be faster, to make sure we're on that person's chest so quickly? Or we're constantly reviewing as a team what we did correctly and what we did um, incorrectly and we could have done better. Um, so this looks like debriefing after a hard situation or a hard conversation, not only going to the father before you have the hard conversation and say, okay, Jesus, use me, speak to me, get, what are you saying on this situation? You have the conversation with the person. And then after the conversation with the person debriefing with Jesus, okay, how did that go? Lord, how did that go? Did I do well? Did I, did did I feel like I let you flow or were some things I could, be, I could have done better? And just debriefing with him and talking with him um, to get his, again, voice on how you're um, speaking into others. In, in the um, Isaiah chapter 2 that I had read earlier where it says, and the center of instruction, Yahweh will go out. Uh, the word of Yahweh will go out. It then had said, then he can teach us his ways and we can walk in his paths. So this is so important because God calls us higher um, so we can teach, so he can teach us his ways and we can walk in his path. So if we're going to him and we're asking him these questions, um, he's calling us higher. He's teaching us in those moments to then that we can call others higher. And we call, call others to Yahweh's mountain and that they can know them know Jesus for themselves. So how we respond is a testimony in itself. Not only are those moments to speak to the non-believer, but also it's a testimony to ourselves because the Lord is freeing us and teaching us so next time we flow freely and completely with him. So it's funny because I, when reading this, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is is huge for the non-believer because of how we respond is going to either spark an interest of like, huh, they weren't offended I that I didn't receive that. That's interesting. Or just however the Holy Spirit guides us into responding is going to spark something because it's that kingdom weapon, remember? And um, we, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I was thinking of like how it's, a testimony to the non-believer, but then I was like, oh, no, wow, that's really teaching us, too. It's growing us, too, as a believer, you know? It's like sometimes we're like, yeah, they need all the teaching, but also, too, we need teaching as well. We got to be teachable. We got to be moldable. Like, that's important. And remember, Jesus is the bridge that lives in us, which means we have to be vessels for his words, not our own. It's not about what we have to say. It's about what he has to say. That's the kingdom weapon. That's what uproots it. That's what dismantles it. 
So when reading Isaiah, um, the footnotes had mentioned about harvest, and it stuck out to me so much because it said that weapons that were once turned on one another will now be used for harvest. And it's cool to think about the weapons, like, you know, when we're going to battle and things like that, and we don't know the Lord, we're just swinging and we're just hoping that we're doing correctly. But like, he's literally turning those swords into plowshares and harvest tools because we're tending to the harvest with him. So, so are we tending to the harvest or are we singing, swinging our weapons and wounding those that are already wounded? Because we must seek out those who do not know the Lord and let the Father tend to them through us. That's vital. That's vital, but that's what he calls us to do. So in Isaiah 58, 12, um, the English Standard Version says, And in your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. So we are called to be the repairers of the breach and restorers of the streets. So let's give the tools needed to establish kingdom here on earth. And Jesus in us makes that possible. He makes that possible. We can repair and restore Marion because he's within us. He's within us. We can repair and restore Ohio. We can repair and restore the United States. Like, it goes out and out. Like, it continues. Like, it's unending with him. And it's unending. And that's why I feel like it's it's so vital, again, going back to the beginning of my message where I was talking about how we view Jesus. This matters because how we view Jesus is how we share Jesus. That's how we share Jesus. Because what you, how you know him is how you're going to share about him. And that that matters to sharing to those who don't know him. Because we don't want to give them a misinterpretation of who Jesus really is. We want to make sure we're representing him well. So it's taking those things and going to the Lord and being like, okay, Jesus, what it revealed to me those lies that maybe I believe about you, Holy Spirit, or God, to go through those things and to, to ask him those questions and ask him to reveal any lies that maybe you've partnered with due to past experiences that you've believed he is this way, but really he's not. He's not. And I know I've had moments where I've done that with Holy Spirit, and he reveals to me where he actually was, and it, it's so redeeming. It's so redeeming of like, wow, in that moment, it felt dark and it felt like you were not there and you were not present in that moment, Jesus. Like, what lie am I partnering with? And he actually gave me eyes to see that he was there. He was hugging me in that very moment. He was there and he wants to speak to those situations. So take the time to do that. Take the time to ask Jesus about who he is and spend time with him. Intimacy, right, Blaine? (laughs) So, church, let's repair and restore with him. Because that's what we're called to do. 
And I feel that is, I know it's always been his heart, but in this moment, I feel like it's very, very vital right now. Right now. It's just so interesting that it's like we, we, we're speaking into wounds and, and the Lord's gearing the church up and healing the church. So in speaking to those things and correcting those things, so then that way we can go forth. And it's, it's like this is so timely. I feel like it's exactly what the Lord is speaking right now at TGP. He is. Um, so, yeah, Jesus, we just ask um, that you just reveal who you are, Father. We just ask that you reveal who you are. And we just ask for encounters with you, Jesus. If someone in this room has never encountered you, Jesus, we just ask for a straight encounter with you, Jesus. Wreck their heart for you, Jesus. Give them open gaze to see who you are, Jesus. We just pray against any unbelief, Father, any unbelief that's hindering us from seeing who you are, any past experiences that have affected us, Father, in viewing you, Jesus. I just speak into those right now, Father, and we just wreck those in Jesus' name. We thank you for what you did on the cross, Jesus, and that you made it possible for us to know you, to know you truly for who you are, and to have open gaze upon the heavenly realms, Jesus. And have communion with you, Jesus. I just thank you so much for this group, Father. And I just thank you so much for the ways that you speak and all of the things that you have to say, Jesus. I just pray that we be quick to stop and hear your voice. To stop and listen to what you're saying. And let that to be our first thought when we're experiencing anything, Jesus. That we stop in our tracks and we ask you your thoughts. Because they're the only thoughts that matter, Jesus. And I just thank you so much that you equip us with kingdom weapons. You equip us with kingdom weapons, Jesus. And we just thank you so much um, yeah, for the ways that you speak and the ways that you equip us in those moments where it's hard conversations with our friends or it's hard conversations with our family, Jesus. We just rebuke manipulation and we rebuke offense in Jesus' name. No more will the church function in manipulation and offense, Jesus. We just ask that be stripped from our mindsets, that you just show us those times where we have done that, Jesus, and speak into those so that we can walk out fully healed and fully free to share your word and to share your words that you're saying in this very moment, Jesus. You're so good, Lord. You're so good, and you are king, you are king of our hearts, Jesus, and we just thank you so much for who you are. And we just pray over Mary, and we pray over the harvest. We pray over this area, Jesus, that you just rise up your believers, that we go out and repair and restore with you, Jesus. We thank you that your heart is for restoration and your heart is for repairing, you repair the breach, Jesus. We thank you for what your word says, Jesus. And we partner with every single part of it. You're so good, Jesus. And we love you so much. I just pray for opportunities. 
for us to speak to people so that we can learn and grow what this looks like with you, Jesus. I just pray that you stir up a hunger in, in people in Marion to know who you are, Jesus. That they be excited to run to your mountaintop and know what you have to say, Jesus. That they come running because they see you in our daily lives. They come running to us to know about who you are, Jesus. So give us the words, give us the actions, and show us how to live that out in our daily lives, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for who you are, Jesus.